Welcome to Global Search Talk, the podcast brought to you by BeFirst, the British Foundation for International Reconstructive Surgery and Training. Here we take a behind-the-scenes look at the experiences, challenges and triumphs of visiting and local surgeons involved in global surgery. My name is Therese and for today's episode we have a conversation from a few months back where we sat down with Mr Whelan, who is a consultant plastic and hand surgeon at the Royal Hospital for Sick Children in Edinburgh and the exiting president of BeFirst. We look back at his time as president of BeFirst, his work in Cambodia, the personal challenges he's faced, the lessons he's learned, and his thoughts on the future of global surgery. Thank you, Mr. Whelan, for coming today on another episode of Global Search Talk. Thank you for having me. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about your beginnings and what sparked your initial interest in global surgery. Um, I guess deep down, every surgeon always have a desire to give back, to to contribute their skills, uh, not just in their daily jobs, but also in a wider context. And I got my first break, so to speak, when I was invited Mm -hmm. to Cambodia uh, as part of a team and specifically to use my skills in children's hand surgery. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, it's incredible to be able to use the skills that you have been training for for such a long time. And so I would really encourage every surgeon to to say yes to Mm. their first opportunity to go because that is life-changing. And how do you define global surgery? Because some people might be listening thinking, what is what exactly is global surgery? I think I think that's quite a difficult definition and everybody has a different definition. Mm. Uh, I think global surgery um, simply means contributing surgical skills in a wider context and it doesn't always have to be a first world country surgeon going to a developing country. It can also mean going to help a colleague in another part of the, the UK, for yeah. example. But if you if you look at the uh, statistics, there are 5 billion people in the world who lack easy access to surgical care or reasonable access to surgical care. A large part of global surgery should be concerned with how to uh, address this inequality. So why is it important as a surgeon from the UK to have a global outlook in your practice? I think we have been given so much and we have so much to give. Yeah. Uh, I always think that one of the strengths of the NHS is that you can be anywhere in the UK mm. and the care that you get is, is so so consistent, mm. so uniform. doesn't matter which hospital you're in. Uh, uh, in my field of plastic and hand surgery, for example, it really doesn't matter where you are in the UK. You, you get such an excellent level of care. And a lot of this comes down to the excellent training that we have in the UK, which is so uniform. Every consultant surgeon receives excellent training that is so tightly uh, regulated, but we also get very good uh, training and exposure to management, leadership, research and teaching. And therefore, I think the, the UK surgeon has so much to give globally, not just in terms of teaching surgery, but also in teaching all these other skills, which are so important. When you first embarked on these trips, did you have some preconceived perceptions that were maybe challenged? I think that having been on a number of these trips, there there are two kinds of trips, essentially. Mm. Uh, there are trips where I go and I just give lectures. Not just give lectures, but, but uh, I don't operate. 
The reason why I distinguish between operating and non-operating trips is because when you go on a trip and you have to teach surgery, it, it does involve another level of stress because there are a lot more considerations. You are concerned about whether you have the right equipment, the right environment, the cases you're going to encounter because these are often complex cases. And over the years, I've found that these are challenges that can be overcome if you do enough preparation. For example, if you find out from the local host what are the cases beforehand so that you can have a bit of time to think about it, you make sure that the team that you bring along is the right team uh, mm-hmm. because no, no one surgeon is able to do everything. And if you anticipate difficulties with equipment, you, you bring along your own equipment. So over the years, I've found that you can reduce your level of stress by preparing adequately. And I found that most of the time it works out just fine. Amazing. Some really great advice. And having visited a number of different countries with Be First, what were your biggest personal challenges that you would say you've overcome? Um, this is an extremely personal question. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure mm. you, uh, you can see that and everybody has a different personal challenge or personal challenges. The ones I can think of before or after every trip is that the majority of these trips involve long-haul flights. Mm. And I, I do find flying for long distances every couple of months quite tiring and the jet lag, I, I, don't, I don't do very well with jet lag. And over the years, you just find different ways of coping or you just, you just run on adrenaline. Before you know it, it's time to come <laughs> home yeah. and you just prepare yourself mentally for that. The other thing which I'm sure is quite common for people involved in global surgery is leaving your family and also getting enough leave uh, from your hospital to go. And again, over the years, you just learn to prioritize these trips so that mentally it's a lot uh, easier to uh, make the decision to go and to take the leave and to, mm. and to make these personal sacrifices. And I think one of the things that really help is when you go as part of a team and yeah. you know that you're going with a team of friends with, who are like-minded, mm-hmm. who share the same passion and who makes the same sacrifices. And, and when you do that together and when your families get to know one another mm-hmm. and, and they, when they understand uh, why you're doing this and the families understand, uh, I think that is a tremendous help. So these are some of the ways I've addressed some personal challenges over the years. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. If you had to go back all the way to when you were a medical student, would you have pictured yourself as to where you are today? If you mean that I would become the BFIRST president, no, not at all. But if I, <laughs> if I think that uh, uh, I will be involved in global surgery, it is something I've always wanted to do since I was oh. a medical student. I'm primarily a hand surgeon and I got into hand surgery because I want to do this kind of work. And it was just mm. waiting until I feel that my training is sufficient to really make a contribution. But over the years, as I got involved in overseas work, before I got involved in BFIRST, I started to discover that I was gaining experiences in in teaching, in organizing, and and in operating with very little resources. And I feel there is actually quite a lot that I could give, and probably to give even more if I am in a position of influence. So when the opportunity came to become BFIRST president, I said yes, so that I could share more, more of these skills and experiences in a wider context. And so within that role, what would you say were your biggest successes? I think against the backdrop of the needs in the world, it's, it's difficult for anyone to claim they have success. The need is still so tremendous. 
But in terms of B first, I would probably say one of the areas that I felt the most satisfaction is that I uh, have managed to involve uh, many of my friends and colleagues from the UK uh, <laughs> and given them the first taste of global surgery. Mm. Uh, I, I hope uh, they won't blame me for this. Uh, I'm very, very <laughs> grateful to them for taking the first step. And I think another area is that I hope I have managed to inspire young surgeons, uh, especially trainees, to be involved in global surgery. And now that you are stepping out as the be first president. What is the next step for your involvement in global surgery? I think once you've done this kind of work, you, you never really stop doing them. It really becomes a part of you, whether you are in a position of, of responsibility or not, mm. uh, uh, an official position. So I anticipate I will still be going to my main project, which is in Cambodia. Mm. And I would still go along with other teams uh, when they need, for example, uh, a pediatric hand surgeon. I think I would just continue to do these trips for the rest of my career, as long as people want me to go. Okay, and how do you see the future of global surgery and be first place within it? I think the, the need for global surgery is always going to be there. I think what we're doing now is, is really a drop in the ocean, but we are making progress. And I, I'm very hopeful about the future. I, I think there will be tremendous progress and acceleration of progress over the next decade or so. And a large part of it of this is due to the technological advances that we are making. We use technology for communication and there is a very, very big step forward with the, the use of smartphones and apps like WhatsApp. I was at a global surgery conference yesterday and everybody on the panel uses WhatsApp in between their visits to, to, to do virtual ward rounds. Mm. Uh, and I think that is really going to uh, revolutionize the way we communicate uh, in between visits, for example. And I think technology will also be used for uh, teaching. I think Proximay, for example, is a very, very useful tool. Again, uh, giving uh, live um, and real-time guidance to really optimize patient care and surgical care. Uh, 3D printing is another avenue. Uh, mm. So I think technological advances over the next decade or so will really, really uh, help us to accelerate progress in global surgery. But I think the, the most important uh, advance will be uh, the mobilization of uh, people and suitable personnel mm. because of an increased awareness uh, in the need for global surgery. So in this area, I'm especially hopeful uh, because of the role that BFIRST is going to play in the future of global surgery. The emphasis of BFIRST is teaching. It is the strength of BFIRST is the people. We don't have a lot of money. That's <laughs> never been our strength. But our strength is the willingness and gener generosity of well-trained plastic surgeons uh, who are keen and willing to go and to teach, and I've said this earlier uh, in response to one of the other questions, the strength of the NHS is that the training is so uniform and consistent, and consistent, mm. and, and UK surgeons are so well equipped to not just operate, but also to, to teach and also to guide on research. And, I, and I'll say this again, I'm very grateful to every one of the volunteers that go, because when you go as a volunteer, you, you not only have to go as a surgeon, a very skilled surgeon at that, but you also have to be a teacher, an educator, a manager, you have to organize the trip, and you have to be very good at socializing. 
Mm. And I think I think there is a lot of skills packed into one. And and I've seen tremendous volunteers from BFIRST, and so I'm very hopeful hopeful of the future for global surgery. Okay, thank you so much for that wonderful conversation, Mr. Wheelam, and I wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to join in the conversation, follow us on Twitter at BeFirstTraining and use the hashtag GlobalSurgeTalk. Want to make a donation? You can help BeFirst train surgeons around the world by visiting www.befirst.org.uk. Finally, a huge thank you to the Medical Student and Trainee Committee in championing this podcast. Until next time.